Hello, hello to all our friends from around the multiverse. My name is Neil Fox, and I am your president of space and president of time. And with me, of, bleh, bleh, with me as always is Link Labrador. Link Labrador, Sir Labs, the brave and courageous, my service dog who protects me through time and space. Yes. So. Uh, we were just listening to NPR about they were talking about immigration policy. And so uh, here's my question to you. Let's, uh, let's discuss our opinions on immigration policy and then let's see if, uh, if we can discuss the facts because a lot of people get caught up in all kinds of different emotional arguments of, oh, this should be this and this should be this and this should be this. And I would hope that just like with every policy decision that the government makes, it is more important to use facts, logic, and reason than it is to use emotion. Yes. So, you tell me your opinion about border policy, and I will tell you my opinion about border policy, and then we'll see where we agree and where we disagree. No, my opinion of border policy is the entire system that we're currently using is so broken, so hilariously inefficient, that we should just toss the whole damn thing out and start it from scratch, metaphorically. Sure. And repair the parts that are broken. Okay. So, so I dis- I'm not done. Hold on one second, my love. Uh, I disagree with you that it needs to all be torn down, but I do agree that it needs to change. So how yes. would you change it? Uh, not torn down in the literal sense, obviously. That of doesn't course. do anyone good. Right. But you tear down the broken boards. You tear down... The shattered windows, and you replace the windows. Sure. You replace the broken boards. Sure. That's what I mean by tear it down. Sure. Makes sense to me. You go through and you inspect the policies one at a time and see what works. See what's worked through history, even. Right. We had a thing. It was called Ellis Island. Maybe you've heard of it. Yes. What is Ellis Island for anyone who doesn't remember their high school history class? Ellis Island was a hub for immigration. So, so just the United States outside of outside of Boston, uh, New York Harbor. So, so just to give a little bit of context for those who uh, may be in elementary school, or elementary school has was a long time for them, a long time ago for them. So, Ellis Island is the island that is now where the Statue of Liberty is located. Yes. So, if you've seen the Statue of Liberty, you know where Ellis Island is. Yes. Now, why did they build the Statue of Liberty on Ellis Island? Do you know? Um, no, I don't know specifically why, other than it looked pretty at the time, I would assume. I mean, probably, but that's not the reason why they did it. The reason why they did it is because so many people were so thankful for America giving them a place to go, to get away from oppressive governments and oppressive religious authorities. Yes. So, for example, who were the pilgrims? We're going way back in school now. And they were an oppressed people. They were an oppressed religion, specifically. So, what if there was a place for everyone to go, whether in time or in space, doesn't matter. If time and space are both infinite, why would we not create 
an infinite amount of worlds, an infinite amount of timelines. Well, the place people want to go is called the United States of America for a reason. That's right. Now, Reagan was completely accurate. If we lose this bastion of freedom, we've lost freedom across the world. That's right. Well, this is one of our shortest episodes in a while, but uh, if you enjoyed it, please give it a like on YouTube, and we hope to see you next time. And welcome back. Uh, I hope that you spend lots and lots of money at the sponsor that you just heard. Now, what is the question you were just asking, my love? The question is, are we just reinventing stuff that humanity, that uh, single-celled organisms had already pre- pre-built millennia before anyone had the thought of doing the thing. That is an excellent question, and I happen to be one of the few people on Earth with the answer to this question. Now, a, a biologist, like someone who works at a college and studies biology, would be able to tell you the answer to this question. But the vast majority of PhDs would say, I don't know, go ask a biologist. Okay? So, let's take this, just for the sake of clarification, both for you and for the listeners, okay? Mm -hmm. We're going to clarify this question by simplifying it, okay? We're going to ask the same question in a different way. Okay. So, the wheel was not invented by humans. It was invented by single-celled life and then rediscovered by humans. That is, that is very obvious from the literature. Like, no, no scientist in the world, unless they were, like, a young Earth creationist, no scientist in the world would disagree with that. Okay? Mm-hmm. So, I'm going to ask your same question in a different way. Are you ready? Yep. Have humans invented anything new? Probably not. Great question. So, let me ask again the same question in a different way. All right, you ready? Yeah. What makes humans unique and uh, different than every other animal, plant, or rock in the universe? What makes humans unique is humans are the equivalents of the orcs from Warhammer. Okay. They have all the knowledge already. It just takes a collective group of them for someone to get the idea that they already have, mind you. Because they believe hard enough in a thing. Humans are orcs from Warhammer. It's great. <laughs> I really like that answer for many, many reasons. But let me, <laughs> let me clarify what you're saying, okay? Let me help you. Yes. Okay? So just for those who may not know what Warhammer is. Warhammer is a tabletop role-playing game similar to Dungeons & Dragons in terms of its game mechanics. But it is played, unlike Dungeons & Dragons, it is typically played with models. Yes. So you have like an army of orcs would be, you know, let's say a hundred little models of orcs that you can move around and fight with. Yes. Okay? So just, again, there are many people who may not even know what Warhammer is. Again, keep in mind that anyone could be listening to this even a million years in the future at long after Games Workshop has ceased to exist. Keep, it, keep that in mind, okay? So... Orcs in Warhammer have a very special ability, which is different than every any other faction. Yes. 
if orcs believe hard enough in a thing, then it comes true. Uh-huh. So what you are saying is, if humans believe hard enough in a thing, it comes true. Yes! Now, I actually agree with you, surprisingly enough, despite the fact that I am not a religious person. But, or not religious other than Scientology, of course. But, uh, I have a different perspective. I agree with you, but I have a different perspective, okay? Okay. So, there is one, and only one, species on Earth, at least as of today, with the ability to use complex language. Now, now let me explain, because there are some animals who do use languages. So, whale songs are a form of language. Dolphins. Dolphin song, dolphin calls are a form of language. Uh, yes. Dogs barking is a form of language. Well, dog... To get to the dog comparison, they do more than just bark. They whimper, they whine, they use their face a lot for our communication more often than not. Sure. It, it, and surprisingly, they can learn sign language. Who knew? <laughs> right. So, when I say complex language, it's important to know... Oh, you're going to need to slow down. You're about to turn. Uh... When I say complex language, the reason why I say complex language is because other animals can use language. So, a parrot, for example, can use language. But if you have ever met a parrot at the zoo, or at a person's house, or whatever, you will find that they do not use complex language. So they might be able to say something like, Oh, pretty bird! Pretty bird! Or a dog might be able to say, I'm hungry! Give me kibble! Or they might be able to, not with words, but just with their their barking and their expression. They might be able to say something like, I want to go on a walk! 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 Give me! Walk! Park! 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 So they're not using words in the same way that a human would, but they are using language. I would, I would argue they are using language, in my opinion. Here, now I'm going to pause the episode so that we can stop by our friends at the post office. So what has been something that's been on your mind today while you've been at work, my love? Uh, housing. Figure out how to build it. Figure out how to build construction out of recycled materials in the most efficient way possible. Things that um, no one's thought of yet. Yeah. Like laminating corrugated uh, laminating corrugated plyboard uh, together with rivets. Oh, that's a great idea. And. Um, uh, overlapping uh, plastic uh, wood grain patterns, similar to what uh, plyboard is. Sure. Because plyboard is just interlocked. It's just interlapped, not interlapped. Uh, alternating one set of um, wood grain. Wood grain with another set of wood grain. Right. Well, and this is this is a principle of physics that not a lot of people understand. So. Most people, intuitively, would look at a piece of plyboard for $8, or, well, it's probably more now, but when I was... when it's I $50 now. Jesus. That's why I was uh, thinking about plastic. Right. But just to give the example of plyboard, okay? When I was a lad going into the, going into the Home Depot with my father whenever he would do his projects, mm-hmm. 
he would have plyboard for just about everything. And intuitively, I as a child, and most people that I know, would intuitively say, oh, well, the, the real, quote-unquote, real wood is stronger than plyboard. No, not even close. Now, explain to me why that is, and then I will give... Explain, explain to the audience why that is from your perspective, and then I will explain from my scientific perspective versus your carpenter and intuitive perspective. Well, the scientific perspective of it is alternating wood grains mm -hmm. provides lateral and horizontal strength. No, no, no. Hold on one second. It's also, it's, also an, it's also what's called the engineered board. Okay. So, if you think about it, if you take a piece of plyboard and then you hit it with an axe, the axe is gonna bounce off. Right. If you hit it, right. If you hit it, if you hit a uh, two by four with an axe, you're gonna go clean through the damn thing. <laughs> right, right, right. Because that's a great example. Because the way that the wood grain functions is under a uh, load. It it, it it involves physics, mathematics. The Which is the part that I'm going to explain, my love. So, I will explain the physics and mathematics, but you have worked with plyboard and wood your entire life. Yes. So you explain it from your intuitive and carpenter perspective. Yep. And I will explain it from the scientific perspective. So, you're a carpenter. Yep. Why do you wood turn real wood and not plyboard? Uh, why do I wood turn real wood? Uh, so why is why is real wood better for that specific purpose? Oh, that was easy. That was very easy. You would turn real wood because you don't have to contend with most of the glues and most of the junk wood that gets put into plyboard. Plyboard is right. typically junk wood. Right. Plyboard is typically junk wood, and then there's high density OSB, which no, I hold on one second. What does OSB stand for? I've actually forgotten the I've forgotten what the acronym stands for. Okay, well the point is we'll look it up. So what is OSB used for? OSB in wood turning is used for base plates, for bowls, anything anything large that you have to attach to a chuck. You typically but want. What is a chuck, my love? A chuck is a piece of equipment that you use to hold wood in place while you're spinning it at a high velocity. Got it. Okay, just keep in mind that I know almost nothing about wood turning. And the audience probably knows even less than me. So, Fair just enough. keep that in mind, that we are not talking to a primarily wood-carving audience. We are talking to an audience that is the general public. So, you just have to keep in mind that when you say something like, attach it to a chuck, and blah 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 blah, most people listening, including myself, I have no idea what a chuck is. I've never used it before. So just, you have to make sure that you're explaining things so that even without context, the listener knows what you're talking about. Ah, uh, fair enough. So, anyway. So, uh, why is real wood a better application, uh, or sorry, a better material for turning pens, whereas plyboard is a better application for building the walls of a house or something like that? Real wood has density behind it. Has more density? Okay. And plyboard has strength and flexibility to it. Got it. 
Okay. So, now I'm going to give the scientific explanation. And whenever you're ready, just take back the microphone, okay? Yeah. All right. So, the reason scientifically, and from the, from the perspective of a physicist, of a materials scientist. Now, you know, let me explain that real quick for anyone who doesn't know what a materials scientist is. So, a materials scientist, it's very simple. It's, it's just like the name. Material science. So material means any type of thing in the real world, and science means the study of something. So study of how materials work in the real world. So like a material scientist who specializes in baking could tell you why bread rises, why you have to, con you have to combine a certain amount of fat and a certain amount of starch to make a certain amount of bread. You know, the, that certain type of bread, I should say, that kind of thing. So a material scientist that works with wood would be able to tell you, oh, well, the wood grain is how the wood grows in the tree, right? Yes. Now, why does wood grain exist? Why does wood grain exist? Tell us, Carpenter. Because trees have rings. Now, and the hold wood, on, hold the on. Trees have rings, and the way that you match the wood grain is, say it's a horizontal. Therefore, the wood grain is going lateral perspective. What does lateral mean? Up and down. Yep, okay. So lateral, up and down, vertical, side to side. Yes. Yep, and keep in mind, many of our audience members will be either children or, for the adults, will be people who have not been to school in like 50 years. So keep in mind, they may not remember what lateral and vertical mean. Yes. Okay, continue. So, the... Okay, I've lost my train of thought. No problem. So, uh, when you're talking about tree rings, mm -hmm. why are why do tree rings form? Let's let's start with that. Because that's how trees grow, and they grow outwards. Now, now, see, you are describing it, uh, and it's not surprising because of how uh, how like concretely you think. So you are describing not the reason why it is done, you are describing how it happens. Yeah. So ironically enough, in this case we are asking a why question, and you are giving the answer as a how question. Normally it's the other way around that we have trouble with. <laughs> uh, but, so, why do tree rings grow is a different question from how do tree rings grow. So you're answering how do tree rings grow, which is a valid answer to a question. It's just not the question that I asked, my love. So, what are the nature conditions that cause trees to grow with rings? How about that? Uh... Because, like, vines don't have rings, for example. Well, Why um, do vines not have rings and trees do? Well, a vine isn't a tree. Yes, but the... Right. We're, we're getting me, we're me. getting into the weeds of horticulture, between the difference between horticulture is my favorite kind of culture. Like I was saying, we're getting into the weeds of horticulture of trees, bushes, trees, bushes, plants. Right. So here, let's let's. <laughs> so we are going back to horticulture 101. Not even horticulture 101. Biology 101. Okay. We're, yes. Are you ready to go in our time machine? Yes. Okay, here we go. 
Well, I was going to pull it up on YouTube, but I, I don't have internet on my phone right now. So I'm just going to go do some whooshing noises. Very ghetto system we are, we, are, we are, we're, we're traveling through time and space. Oh, look, Labrador. Look, Sir Labrador. There it is. Do you see it? What? Over there. It's the world's first plant. Many millions of years before our time. Oh my, a plant. Let's break it and see what happens in the future. You, you realize that if you do that, that no future plants will exist for anyone in this timeline. That's not how biology works. <laughs> I know that. And you know that. But we are simplifying things for the sake of our very young audience, okay? Yes. I know that there was no first plant. Adam and Eve did not exist. The Adam and Eve concept is based on faulty genetic science. Uh, well, before genetic science even existed. Like, with genetic science, we know that there could not be a first plant. There had to be a gradual change from non-plant life to plant life. Yes. So, for example, Photo photosynthesis, or changing energy from the sun into sugars, mm -hmm. is something that evolved in a single-celled life first. So that would be the first plant. So then, it's time to travel back another billion years into the past! Oh look! There's the Industrial Revolution! Goodbye! Goodbye! Goodbye, Industrial Alright, so here we are, back in time. The, the Earth is nothing but rocks and ocean. There is no life on Earth other than single-celled organisms. Now, it's time to shrink down to the atomic scale! Or, sorry, to the cellular scale. Atomic scale is much different. Sorry, uh, I'm getting my own science confused now. Oh. Alright, are you ready to shrink down to the cell size of the cell? Yes! All right, here we go. Ah. All right, here we are. We're the size of a cell. Okay. Now, now make sure you speak with a high-pitched voice because your vocal cords would be much smaller. I believe we would speak normally, regardless. Oh, okay. Uh, through the magic of science, we have discovered a way to make our vocal cords stay the same size. So that would mean that we will be nothing but vocal cords with eyes. <laughs> That's terrifying. <laughs> Alright. Sir Labrador, do you see before us the cell of science? Yes. It is a single-celled organism. Now let me describe what it looks like, because we ourselves are the size of cells in this universe. We are wearing our scuba equipment because cells live in water, do they not? They do! Almost all cells live in water. There are some very, very, very minute exceptions, but in, in general, cells live in water, in liquid water. So, we have our scuba equipment on. Okay, we have our scuba equipment on, and uh, now we are ready to observe the science before us! So, what we see looks similar to a giant blob of jello with things floating inside it. Yes. What color is the plant in front of us? I don't know. What color is it? <laughs> you can't tell what the color green is? 
It's a plant! Of course it's green! Okay, it appears to be green and it's approaching and it wants to eat us both! I didn't know that herbivores in the in the far distant times were also carnivores, but that <laughs> that is actually true! Did you know that there are many different types of single-celled life that we would classify as very different from the life that exists today? So for example, do you know what a flagellum is? It is a form of... It is a form of uh, single-celled life? Incorrect! Yeah, I don't know. I, I haven't had to think about this in like 10 years. I know! So, are most, so have most of our listeners not thought about it in 10 years. Alright, you ready? Fair enough. The flagellum is a miracle of evolutionary science. It might as well be a miracle because of how complicated it was for it to evolve. Now, it did evolve. We have a very clear and very concise and very obvious explanation of how it evolved from other types of cellular life. But, it was a very complex process. And so when we look at it now, we say, wow, was that a miracle? No, it was science! It was always science! Yes. Now, a flagellum is like a tail. It so, can swim. For, for those listening from home, the male reproductive fluid is full of sperm, is it not? Yes. Sperm have flagella, or a flagellum. Singular is flagellum, multiple is flagella. So, sperm move using this method of locomotion, using their flagellum. It's like a little tail. So imagine if you had a tail that you could spin in the water, similar to a propeller. That would be interesting. Here's what it would sound like. That's the, that's the sound of the thing spinning if it was like human-sized. <laughs> so, so you can imagine, now this is not exactly how it works, okay? It actually, the method by which it works is actually more complicated than this, but you can imagine it like a propeller on a boat, okay? The propeller spins and pushes the boat forward, right? Or yes. backward, one or the other. A flagellum actually works in a slightly different way. So you can imagine it like a tail, or if uh, if you're listening at home and you have like a um, a phone cord with you, you can you can spin it in a circle, and that's essentially what the flagellum is doing. It's spinning around in a circle. Okay, so like this. Now what that does is that by the tail spinning one way, it moves the rest of the cell in the opposite direction. So it spins the tail, let's say clockwise, for example, and then it makes the entire rest of the cell move in a counterclockwise direction. Does that make sense? It does. And that is how most cells on Earth move around. And in fact, how interesting that we would have built telescopes and built microscopes and when we use our microscopes to look at the smallest things in the world, the smallest animals in the world, they are using a device which is very similar to the modern wheel. 
to propel themselves through the water. Incredible. So, did humans invent the wheel? Um... The answer is no! Cells invented it billions of years before humans even existed. Well, you don't need to reinvent the wheel. What humans really did figure out was how to attach a wheel to a thing. Darling, what is a cell? What is a flagellum? A tail. Attached to? A thing. So, ironically enough, reinventing the wheel is what the first human who invented a wheel did. He had no or she, I don't know, who knows, he or she, or it, or whatever they would have called themselves, I, I have no idea, I've never spoken to a caveman, perhaps they would have used Z-Zer-Zim pronouns, who knows? No, they would have, they would have dressed you like Snoop Dogg. Sweet. <laughs> hey, bro. Bro. Anyway, so, ancient humans long before the invention of the microscope, long before the invention of the germ theory of disease, thought they invented something new, the wheel. It turns out that they invented shit. They didn't invent shit. The wheel existed billions of years before humans did. Did the cell phone exist billions of years before humans? That's the other question we'll have to figure out one day. I would love to tell you the answer, my love, after we get back from a commercial break. And welcome back to the State of the Fandom. Uh, we just finished up our event at the Andy Moore Chevrolet dealership in Indianapolis, Indiana. It was super fun. We got maybe around $10 in donations, so, you know, not a huge uh, amount of money for our start, but hey, a great proof of concept. So, I wanted to tell you the story of what happened and how I know now, after about a year worth of work getting this prepped and ready to go, I know now that it will work really, really well. And let me tell you how I know that. The very first person who came up to the booth the very first person. She was totally disinterested, didn't care, didn't, you know, she, she had her mind on other things. As soon as I said, would you like some free stuff? She went, what? Free stuff? And then I showed her the gift cards and she, she got this immediate look on her face like, oh my God, I just found a literal gold mine. She, she got this look of, like, intense... Uh, greed might not be the right word. Intense desire, I'll say. This look of, like, oh my god, I need it. I need it. <laughs> she could not get her purse out fast enough to give me a dollar to, to make a box for a veteran. She could... Like, she was, she was rushing to get out her purse as fast as she could. I know that look from doing many, many different conventions. Alright, and welcome back. I hope that you have enjoyed the uh, wonderful sponsors that are sponsoring our, 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 uh, our charity work. So here's what I'm thinking, my love. Yes. In terms of the boxes, let's use the priority mailboxes for our organization system. Okay? Yes. Small, medium, large are the, are the standard boxes. So here we have... And I'll make some noise with the cardboard so the radio listeners can hear it. 
we have a cardboard box called a small flat rate box. Yes. Okay. Now, why are we going to use this instead of the cheaper version, which is called media mail? Why are we going to use this? So there's, there's, okay, sorry, let me back up just a minute. So there are several different, uh, there are several different, I'm going to just put the microphone right here. You can yep. just take it when you need it, okay? There are several different types of mail at the post office, right? Yes. So, for those of you listening from home, I'm sure you can list off a couple of them in your head, but the most important types are called first class and priority mail. Yes. So what is the difference between first class and priority mail? Typically cost. Obviously, my love. I'm talking about more than just cost. Other than that, I have, um, I've actually forgotten the reason why. I once knew it. Okay. So the reason why there is a difference is because of the shipping time. Okay? Oh, shit. Yeah, you're right. So a first class stamp, for a little, we'll use stamps as an example, because we're going to talk about stamps a lot. Yes. Okay? A first class stamp will take a letter from anywhere in the country to anywhere else in about six to seven days. Or five to seven days. Yes. So if grandma is writing a letter that has a, a letter for her grandchild, she probably doesn't want to spend an extra $7 to get it there in three days instead of seven. So she's willing to pay 58 cents for a stamp instead of, I think the letter rate is like $2 for priority mail or something. She would rather pay the extra, she would not rather pay the extra $1.50 to get it there a little bit faster. Right? Correct. Okay. So, priority mail is going to be something a lot more similar to Amazon Prime where it is guaranteed three-day shipping, right, mm -hmm. to most addresses in the United States. It, it, it does not apply to every address because there are some, like, Alaska, Hawaii, and military addresses that they just take longer, not because of any reason, just because it's far away. So there are some addresses where it takes longer than three days, but the Postal Service has all of that posted on their website. Well, there is a reason why military addresses take longer mm -hmm. to get there. It's because the way the military does all their shipping is they just do bulk shipping when the when the crates fall, then they ship it out. They don't send out individual items. So anyone who wants to sell mail, send mail to a soldier wherever they are, just expect it that it's going to take a little longer than you think because the military likes to be as efficient as humanly possible. Absolutely. Sometimes. Well, and... and while it is important for a letter from his family member to get to a soldier, it is not time important. So there, uh -huh. there's a big difference in importance between something that is important to a human and important in terms of the amount of time that it takes. Yes. So what are the difference between those two concepts, my love? So important to a human versus time critical. What are the two, What is the difference between that? Uh, time critical. Uh, let's see. You have a... We'll use an example I of have a, a heart transplant. My I life. was going to go there. Okay, great. Because everybody knows that's time critical. That's obvious. Okay. So, you have a heart transplant. That only is good for like 24 hours. If that, you need to get it through ASAP. It is literally or, cheaper 
just to, it is literally cheaper to simply charter a damn plane than find a new heart. Right. Or we talked about Venom 1 on a previous podcast. What we was did. the story behind that? Uh, Venom 1 was a aircraft allowed to fly during 9-11. Wow. Okay. And what's the story of why they were allowed to fly? Because they were in the air, they had all the clearances, and they were allowed to land. Wow. Because someone had been bitten by some rare uh, snake, I believe, and it was the only source of anti-venom in the entire country. Wow. That was close enough. It was like Chicago to like California or some shit. It was... Jesus. And they did a whole documentary on it. That's awesome. So... That would be an example of a time-critical shipment. Yes. So, what is the difference between, in terms of shipping, okay? Because you've, yeah. you've done a lot of shipping for Goodwill. I have, sadly. Now I'm going to use my powers for evil. For evil? Uh, for evil. I mean, by evil, I mean I'm going to, you know, wind up toppling the entirety of Goodwill single-handedly with this amazing little floof. And then we're going to show the world that you can... That you can run a non-profit and not be massive. Uh, massive? Are we on the safe for work or not safe for work? Uh, let's make this episode safe for work, if that's okay. Okay, we are... Massive fluffing buttholes. There we go. Massive fluffing buttholes. No, I have a better okay. insult than that. Alright. You can run a non-profit organization that isn't evil, self-centered, Right. Overcomplicated. Right. Over self-aggrandizing. Absolutely. Selfish. Yep. Downright crimi- criminal. Yep. And they're still legally allowed to only pay people 12 cents an hour in some cases. No, seriously, look it up. Go tell your congressman. Wait, Goodwill pays people 10 cents an hour? They can. What? I- when? Why? Uh, they are called, um, uh, let's see, they are sales associate ones. Okay. And they are mentally handicapped or physically handicapped, and they just, and it's some crazy loophole that existed that's been around for at least a hundred years or so. So wait, let me, let me see if I'm understanding correctly, because I've, I've heard about some of this from you, and then I've seen some things at various, uh recycling centers and stuff like that use this loophole as well. So, let me see if I can explain it, and you tell me if I'm right or not, okay? Okay. So, my understanding of this legal loophole is that for some classes of disabled citizens, not for all of them, but for some, it is legal to pay less than a minimum wage. It is. And the reason why the government makes this exception is because they want people on disability to be able to get a good job. Yes. Okay? So, if they were paid a reasonable wage, let's say, yeah, it didn't, it wouldn't even have to be crazy. It could be, you know, $15 an hour. If they were paid $15 an hour, they would lose their Social Security benefits. Correct. Okay, got it. So Now, that, that in my opinion, is a abusive and broken system. Absolutely it is. Because they can have these people do just about anything for practically slave wages. <laughs> practically. It is slave wages. It Honest. is slave wages. That's, what is the definition of slavery? 
if not 10 cents an hour. 10 cents an hour is not a wage. That is paying someone a dime to sit there and make you money. That should be criminal. It should be. Same thing with our prison systems. This is how... Uh, so, theoretically, anyone who's in the prison system would technically probably qualify for disability benefits. <laughs> well, I mean, and you're not even... You're, you're saying it like it's a joke. But the thing is, is that when you're talking about the prison system in particular, the, uh... <coughs> excuse me. When you're talking about the prison system in particular, roughly around 50%... I think, or I'd have to look up the exact number, but I think it's around 50% of prisoners have some type of mental disorder. Yes! So, not only could they be on Social Security, they should be on Social Security. Yes! So, here's an idea, my love. Yep. This is one of those ideas that I have, because I, I'm sure you, you figured this out by now, but I tend to think best when I'm thinking out loud to another person. So, ah. if, if I am having a conversation with you... It helps to organize my thoughts and focus them. Yes. So, we were talking about doing school for prisoners, right? Yes. So by sending people uh, college textbooks, basically... In a PDF. Well, through Google Docs. Here's, here's what I'm thinking. Prisoners generally do have access to paper materials. Mm-hmm. They generally do not have access to technology or the internet. So what I would like to do... Actually, that's, that's changing quite a bit. Uh, they have iPods, they have iPhones... Uh, not iPhones, they have iPods. They got uh, tablets now. Yeah. So why don't we give them non-internet connected Kindles? Yes. And we can load on the Kindle all the different books that they would need to learn things about how to live outside of prison. There's an idea. So here. Here is our entire college course. You can either do it with us, or you can literally just do it on your own. Mm-hmm. It'll be labeled, you know, book one, book two, book three, book four, book five, book six. Hell, build a book club in prison. We don't... We're encouraging education here, guys. Right. You could literally give every prisoner a Kindle with 10,000 books on it. Uh-huh. Now, how much... Would it change the entire world if every prisoner on Earth had access to Rules for Radicals by Saul Alinsky? Kamala Harris would hate us. I don't care. <laughs> Kamala it, Harris is going to hate us either way. <laughs> <laughs> Which I find funny because our politicians have the power to actually affect change they choose not to because of corporate greed. Correct. We need to get corporate greed out of American politics. So why don't we change the law through changing the Constitution? And here's how I want to do it, okay? Yep. So what is a big societal change that you think needs to happen? So... Uh, chain, getting corporate greed out of politics is a perfect example, you, but let, we can use that example, or we can use a different one. Uh, do you want me to just start listing them off ad lib, or... No, no, no. Darling, I know there are a lot of things that we need to fix. As a society, <laughs> when I say we, I don't mean you and I, although it is us that are going to do it, but when I say we, I mean us as a society, there are a lot of big things to fix. So, pick one. Pick one big thing that needs to be fixed. Okay. One big thing. That comes to my puppy brain 
right now is the entirety of the prison system needs to be reformed. I agree. So here's how I here's how I propose to reform the prison system. Okay. So step one, we're gonna we're gonna do it as a series of steps. Then that way, I could do it, you could do it, or anyone else who has the power to do it could start this process. Okay. Yeah. Step one. Education. Yes! Everyone on earth, including academics, including people who work in prisons, including prisoners themselves, including prison guards, agree that education is the way to keep people from having to go back to prison. Yes! It is very, very clear in virtually every study that has ever been done that if a prisoner gets an education in prison, they are far less likely to go back. Uh-huh. Now, it does not have to be a bachelor's degree. To be clear, when I say education, I am not necessarily talking about high school or college. I'm talking about life skills. Uh-huh. Citizenship skills. Yep. So how to how to pay your taxes, for example. Like, just a class in how to pay your taxes with, if you're a business or an individual. Yes! That's not that hard. No! Everyone in the entire country should know the exact details of how to pay taxes as an individual and how to pay taxes as a business. So, life skills. Yeah. Job skills. And citizenship skills. That's what I want our college curriculum, especially for prisoners, to focus on. Okay? Yes. So, what are some examples of job skills that we could teach? So, woodworking would be one. Woodworking, time management. Sure. Um, what are skills that are important to you in the jobs that you've had before? Time Knowing, knowing how to make coffee. That's an easy one. I mean, in the most technical sense, yes, that's a skill. Uh, yeah, but like, okay, sorry, let me, let me be more clear, my love. When I am talking, I want you to use your wonderful concrete thinking brain. Yeah. Okay? And I want you to focus on what are concrete things that we could give prisoners the skills to do. So, data entry would be an easy one. Data. You could absolutely learn how to do data entry from a book. It's yes. It's not that hard. No. Hell. You would not have to have a computer to learn data entry. Hell, I know data entry and I'm dyslexic. I hate it. Right. It takes me forever, but I've actually come up with an even more efficient way of doing data entry because I want to do it quickly. Uh, so what are some examples of other, we'll say, um, let, let me, instead of saying job skills because that's too broad. Yeah. We'll say, what are some jobs that we could teach people to do while they are in prison? Oh, yeah. um... So barista would be an easy one. They could learn it through podcasts, so audio, and... Carpentry. Carpentry. Woodworking. Sure. Furniture building. A lot of... A lot of... Electronics um, repair. Electronics repair. Manufacturing. Manufacturing. So, here is my proposal. Okay? Yeah. And I do not know... I'm not going to say it is my promise, because I want to make sure that any promises I make as a candidate, well, I can actually... I can actually do. So this is just a proposal for a future law. Okay? 
Yes. We set a federally mandated minimum wage of $100 for any company with over 100 employees. Or hell, we make it for any company over a thousand employees. Sure. Any, any, no one would, no one, not a single person would say, oh yeah, definitely. A company with over a thousand employees, totally a small business. Absolutely. No. No. If you have over a hundred, if you have over a thousand employees, you are not a small business. That is not the definition. We need to put in another classification for businesses. Big business? Yep. Okay. Small, medium, large, corporation, mega corporation. Yes. There is a Google huge is difference. A, Google is a mega corporation. Damn yes. near a monopoly. Actually, it really is just a monopoly, but they use legal loopholes and they use shell corporations and they use all sorts of bullshit to basically overthrow and or control Western democracy in its entirety, but... Hey! <laughs> Unfortunately, I completely agree with you. But we are getting a little bit off topic, so let's go back to the topic we were working on, and we will definitely talk about monopoly prob- like monopoly business in America. Because that, oh, yeah. is, that is something that we have to fix in the next ten years, or the country will cease to exist. No, the, the country will become cyberpunk. The country will become Ready Player One! Like, I don't know how much more clearly we could get this across to you. Do, does Has any person, has any person on Earth read Ready Player One and looked at it and said, No, that's impossible. That's completely impossible that a company would come along and make a product so revolutionary that it just takes over the entire world and everything turns dystopian. Ha, like, have you heard of Walmart? Yes. Walmart makes... $500 billion a year! No company should make that much money! No, or at least... $500 billion is one-eighth of the U.S. government's budget! <laughs> yes! There should not be a company with one-tenth of the power of the biggest nation on Earth! No. That is absurd! It and here's something Walmart could do that would help society out. Sure. An amazing amount. I don't care how much money you make. Here's what I do care about. Yep. The quality of life of everyone else. Correct. Donate more money than you make. Donate half of the money you make. No one would be complaining. Well, and <laughs> let me let me let me just uh, let me just add to what you just said. Because this is important. This is this is one of the biggest ideas that we have to bring to the table to help people. So, corporations, individuals, stockholders, uh, investment firms, whatever. It doesn't matter what. Anyone, including corporations, can donate stuff to charity. Yes! Okay? And the amount you get to write off on your taxes is not based on the amount that you paid for it. It's based, it's based on the retail value. Uh-huh. Okay? So so let me let me break this down for anyone who's not a business major, has never, you know, studied accounting, all of that, which is gonna be, of course, most of the people in the audience. Okay? Yep. 
So name a product, any product, doesn't matter. Maserati. Uh, gonna go with a little bit less expensive one, because uh, making a Maserati yourself is probably impossible and illegal. So we're gonna, a simple product, my love. Uh, toys that you see on the side of the street. Okay, uh, wooden toys are a perfect example, okay? So, let's imagine a wooden toy. What type of wooden toy could you make? Like a toy horse, a toy dog, toy tank, toy tank, a toy truck, toy car. How about that? Yeah. A toy Maserati. There we go. <laughs> a toy, well, a toy truck. We'll, we'll use that as the example, okay? With a Maserati, it would take a while, but you could do it. <laughs> We just need a fully functional machine shop and not legally call it Maserati. Well, we'll, we'll work on it. We'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. So we're going to give an example of how this works, okay? Yeah. So you are going to make a toy truck out of wood. Yes. Now, you, Link Labrador, Yep. you would need to get some raw materials to make that product, right? Yes. So how much, just on average, you don't have to give an exact calculation, but like on average, how much would it cost to get enough wood to make a average size toy truck? Would it cost a dollar, ten dollars, a hundred dollars, a thousand dollars? So if we're making it out of uh, relatively inexpensive wood... It's I a toy, say. so I would guess probably pine, oak, you know, it's something, you want something durable, but not something expensive. You haven't seen my toy cars. I build them so I build them to the like the same uh, durability as Tonka toys. That's awesome. I but, use, it, but again, it doesn't have to be a mahogany to do that. I would assume, right? No, it can I be use, built out of pine and still be very well designed and highly durable. I would no, assume. no, you, you want mahogany. <laughs> what is an example of a wood that an average family could afford a toy from, dear? Um, Oak, for example. Oak works. Okay. I, to, to the audience listening at home, I love my husband more than I love any other person in the world combined. But, that being said, he is the most stubborn person in the world other than me. I'm still a 10 on the stubbornness scale, but he's like a 9.5. So, anyway. No, I'm a 10. Some, darling, are you more stubborn than me? Well, someone needs to be on bottom. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, so anyway. Let's, let's get back on, let's get back focused on our task, okay? So, you are going to make a, let's say, 8 inch long toy truck out of oak. Okay? Yes. So an average size roughly the same size as a Barbie doll for a girl, a toy truck for a boy. You know, uh -huh. very simple toy. You know, you're not making something that has like 1,700 moving parts. No. You're making a frame and four wheels, and you're attaching the wheels however you want. Yes. Okay? So approximately how much cost of material would that be? Is it closer to a dollar, $10, or $100, or $1,000? I'd say probably closer to 10 bucks worth of material and with the cost of inflation. Uh... $10 is perfectly reasonable. You could probably get quite a bit of blocks of wood this size for $10. You'd probably get four of them, I would think, right? Yeah. So, but, but we'll just estimate high, we'll say 10 because who knows how expensive wood will be in the future. I, 
my guess is it probably will only continue to go up. Probably. But we will see. So, anyway, let's assume $10 is the cost of materials, okay? Now, how many hours of time would it take you to make it into one of your toy trucks? Roughly. Just call it eight hours. That's perfectly reasonable. And then how much would you be able to sell that toy car for? Uh, at this point, probably 4x what I call it, what I, a 4x material cost. So like 40, 50 bucks? Yeah. I would be shocked if you couldn't sell it for at least 100 because like really high quality wooden toys, Yeah. a lot of people really like that, especially grandparents giving it to their grandchildren. So I'm going to, I'm going to say 100 because I would be shocked if someone was not willing to pay at least that much. Okay? Mm-hmm. So, this is a great example of how someone can use their labor to increase the value of a material. Yep. So, the block of wood is worth somewhere between a dollar and ten dollars. Mm-hmm. We don't know exactly, but we'll just say ten just to make it the math simple. The toy is worth a hundred dollars. Yep. Not because of the material but because of the amount of time and effort that you put into learning the skill and then putting effort into carving the material, right? Yeah. So, the million dollar question. Yeah? If you donated your toy truck that you made yourself, if you donated it to Goodwill, how much money could you write off on your taxes? A hundred dollars. Ten dollars or a hundred dollars? A hundred dollars because that's the market value. Correct. And so, now, let's use this mathematics to see how much money someone could save on their taxes. Okay? Yes. So let's say someone drives for Uber. Yep. So they have to pay self-employment tax. Yes. Okay? What is self-employment tax? Do you know? The self-employment tax is something that you try to avoid as much as humanly possible, depending on your given circumstances, because the vast majority of the time, you're working under the table in cash. Now, the correct legal answer is... Self-employment is a W nine. Uh, is it a W nine? Self-employment income is reported on a ten ninety nine. Ten ninety nine. There we go. I think a W nine as well. I, I haven't studied that in a while, so I'd have to look it up. But I know I know it's a ten ninety nine. Ten ninety nine versus W two. Yep. So W two is how most people in America are paid. Yes. So if you are a nurse and the company can tell you what time to be at work, That's you a are w-2. a W-2 employee. Yep. Unless your salary. Salary is still paid on a W-2. Yes, but... So it's a W-2 income. My yes. Uh, I'm, adding, I'm adding to it. Salary falls under W-2 as well, even though the rules for salary are completely different than an average job. Right. So we we are not talking about the difference between salary and non salary. I, I, I'm right not. Now. We're talking about the difference between W two and ten ninety nine. So we don't I, want to overcomplicate it. I'm not. I'm simply adding to, mm-hmm. in case someone has a thought. Sure. All right. So next step. So we've 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 figured out the difference between ten ninety nine uh-huh. and W two. So ten ninety nine. For anyone else, for anyone out there listening, if you want to start your own business and sell cookies out or sell a lemonade from a lemonade stand, if you are a kid and you sell lemonade from a lemonade stand, generally speaking, you don't have to report that income. 
If no. it's less than eight hundred dollars, the government really doesn't care. I think it's even less than like five thousand. It's less than like five thousand. Well, you can kind of get away with it, darling. Let me explain because we don't want to misinform our audience. Okay, True. this is important. It is the official government standard. Yeah. Is if it is less than eight hundred dollars, they will not prosecute you for not reporting it. Uh huh. Now, generally speaking, most people could get away with doing more than that, but you should not because of how easy it is to report it and pay the taxes. Yes. And you do not want to have any risk that you will be audited and get in trouble uh-huh. because many, many, many people are in jail for tax fraud. Yes. And I would like to encourage everyone to be very conscientious and to pay their taxes exactly as much as the government asks and exactly on time. Yes. You should not for any reason get in trouble with the IRS. And fortunately enough, they are actually very reasonable in most cases with people. Yes. Like, they will try to help you if you don't fight them. Uh-huh. Most people in jail for tax evasion tried to fight the, t- the IRS and lost. Which is kind of like going up against a grizzly bear. Like, every so often, <laughs> your name is Link Labrador and you could take down a bear. But I <laughs> definitely could not. And most of our listeners definitely could not. Right? Exactly. No, I can tell you how to take down a bear. You need oh 500 God. Express Magnum. <laughs> I'm just telling you how to fight a bear if you have to. <laughs> see, see, and see... And see, here's the thing. I knew that if I gave that as an example, that's where the conversation would go. So let's just reel it back in just a little bit. Yep. Just a little bit. And we're going to talk about what is the way, what is the easiest way that most people could pay less in tax, right? Donating as much as humanly possible. That's correct. Now... Why is that something, based on your experience working at Goodwill, because it's why com- is that something that someone should do? Because it's A, completely legal, B, it benefits absolutely everybody, C, Goodwill is terrible, a horrible company, it should burn in a fire, but you can utilize it to pay less in taxes, so unfortunately we have to live with Goodwill until we invent something better than Goodwill, like a Time sw- travel. A swamp me. Time travel. Well, at that point, we're just going back what in if time. We, what if we... Well, nope, I'm not done. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Now, if we went back in time, mm-hmm. it wouldn't do us any good to create Goodwill without the knowledge of how to keep it from getting corrupt in the first place. Correct. Doesn't do us any good to go back in time to kill Hitler because there's just going to be another Hitler. So you'd be going back mm. in time indefinitely to kill an indefinite amount of Hitler-esque entities. Right, and I'm glad that you brought that up because that is something that most people do not understand. So most people think of good and bad as a binary choice, right? Uh-huh. So this is something that is taught to us as children Yep. by a lot of different sources, but a, a couple of different sources for this, uh, for this problem of binary good and evil yep. as a concept. A lot of sources for it are churches, parents, schools, governments, Joe Biden, 
Kamala Harris, Donald Trump. See, now I'm just getting him pissed off. Um, sorry, peeved off. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, uh, the source for this misinformation comes from trusted sources. And so a lot of people do not grow up to get the knowledge that it is not a binary choice. Because it, of course it's not. Choice is a gradient. Choice yes. is a spectrum. Not only that, but good and evil are a spectrum. Now, for most people, let, let's let's drive this home and then we will stop the recording for today. Okay? Or yep. th- sp- stop this podcast recording for today. What is the most evil person you can think of? Uh, for most people, they're going to say Adolf Hitler. But... Didn't Stalin kill more people? Mao Didn't Z- Mao Zedong kill, kill more people? Yes! Doesn't the current Chinese government kill more people? Actively kill people to harvest their organs. So, yes. why is Hitler more evil? So, anyway, that's that's where we will end our discussion for today. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs> I am Neil Fox. I am the president of Time and Space. And with me, as always, is... Link Labrador. Link Labrador. Please like the video. Please comment on whatever place that you can. And please make sure to share with your friends. Thank you so much for listening. And we hope you have a wonderful day. Hello, hello, children of the multiverse. It is I, your great and powerful president of space, Neil Fox. And here with me today, we have a special guest. His name is... Matt. Matt. Welcome, Matt. Matt is helping me drive to the location for our uh, video shoot for today, for the show. Uh, Matt, I hear you have an interesting story. Will you tell the children about it? Uh, Sure. So, uh, I retired in May. Uh, After 26 and a half years, when I would turn 50 years old, I could uh, retire. So I did. And after I retired, I was at home for about two days, and I was super, super bored. So I told my wife... I need to do something. So I I said, I got to go do something. So I delivered some food for a while for DoorDash and stuff like that. Okay. And then uh, I started delivering people for Uber. And I realized pretty quickly that it doesn't pay me what my job could be if I get another one in the future. But it gives me something that is uh, even better than money. It gives me the reward of talking to people, learning about people getting back into social elements of like just having conversations and stuff my world has been for the last two years covid like everybody else's so when covid hit it turned into you know me just sitting around and being you know more isolated than i wanted to be this driving for uber forces me to be in conversations and i love it i love it it's the best job i've ever had if i could financially kind of make it work for me i would stay doing it and that's the truth i love driving for uber Well, you know, uh, this is an interesting conversation because I've had very similar conversations with Uber drivers all over the world. I've uh, I've done conventions in Germany, I've done conventions in the UK, I've done conventions in Singapore, in uh, France, in all these different countries. And I hear the same thing from Uber drivers wherever I go, where they say, you know, oh, you know, this is such a rewarding job, not because of the money, but because of how I get to spend time with interesting people. You know, and obviously, I, I uh, being a podcaster, oftentimes in the most interesting part of their day. <laughs> right. <laughs> so uh, I actually have a method that I, re- that I suggest to people who are self-employed of how they can uh, turn their self-employment from um, basically like a side job into a full-time job. 
Um, but anyway, <clears throat> what I would like to know from you, for, um, for anyone that's listening, is uh, what would be your best piece of advice to yourself when you were a kid? So back to being 12 or 10 or something like that, with the knowledge that you have now, what would you tell yourself in the past? So I actually have an answer for that, and I very specifically do this. When I have young people in my car, regardless if they're 16 to 25 years old, whatever, you know, kind of that age right there, I wish that somebody would have gave me this piece of advice. It's very simple. You're going to make mistakes in life. Everybody does. They're going to be big. They're going to be small. Sometimes they won't even be your fault. Take responsibility for the ones that are your fault and then forgive yourself. Forgive yourself for the things that you've done because the only person holding you hostage is you. You're the only person that's keeping you down, the only person. And if you have people in your life that are toxic and keep bringing up the things you did 10 years ago, five years ago, get them out of your life. It don't matter who it is because they're poison in your life. So just always forgive yourself and know that you're the only one keeping you down. That is a great piece of advice, and it's one that I've given the kids on the show many times. Not not in those specific words, but you know, saying things like, you know, the only thing that matters is who you are today. You know, because you can't change who you were in the past. Yeah. You can change who you will be in the future by doing better today. Yeah. You know, today is the only day that exists. Every other day does not exist. <laughs> So I give, I always tell everybody the same thing. Usually when I, I don't give that speech to older people because they've already kind of made their way. Sure. But like, I always tell people the same thing at the end of the ride. Enjoy the rest of your life because you deserve it. Absolutely. Well, and uh, we are probably getting pretty close to our destination. Okay. About three miles away. So if you, do you have a business card? I do not. Okay, because I actually need to be, um, I I actually have a relatively frequent need for getting around the city. So what I'm going to do is uh, is ask you, do you want to say your information on the podcast for anyone who would like to get in touch with you? Or do you want me to turn off the recording first before I ask you? No, it's okay. I don't don't want to give anything. I I, I actually, the randomness of this job is what makes it so great. Wow. Because... Because literally, I've had people want me to come pick them up every day, and, and I don't, I wouldn't mind doing that, honestly. But like, like I want that next person. I want to have that next conversation. You know what I'm well, saying? And what I would love to do with you specifically is just whenever we have an ability to, you know, if, if I need to go to the grocery store, or if I need to go to a meeting with an executive or whatever, you know, I meet with all kinds of different people. And uh, what I would love to do is record a podcast with you on the way. And say, you know, oh, well, you know, today we're going to the grocery store. So how would we tell the kids about, you know, what's the best way to save money at the grocery store? You know, that type of really specific knowledge that most people don't get any other way through the school of hard knocks is something that we're trying to, we're trying to create an educational curriculum. So, um, so I gotta be honest with you, like literally I've taken a job this week. And I've already quit a job, That's so like, great. so like, literally, I'm gonna, I'm at some point, I'm not gonna do this anymore. Of but and so uh, until that time comes, like I said, I'm just, I'm taking advantage of the fact that I'm, you know, I can have those conversations and it ain't every ride because you know most people are pretty quiet. Most people just kind of sit there. Sure. And and that's okay too. That's just part of life as well. But like literally, I've already taken a job this last week and quit it <laughs> the next day. Because wow. I knew what it just knew it wasn't going to work for me, right. and 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 ultimately I know what my value is as a human being, 
and right. and I have a lot of integrity. So sure. so like literally, this might end like in next week. So sure. Well, that's totally fine. And, and by the way, since it's a podcast, mm. we can always do interviews over the phone as well. So like you could be sitting at home, you know, doing woodworking or whatever. My, yeah. my husband does woodworking, so yeah. uh, we, you know, you could be sitting at home doing woodworking and talking over the over the phone to uh, to do a podcast. So anyway, uh, the offer is open to you if you're interested. I appreciate you. I, I find. Let, let me have your information when we get done, and then uh, and then I'll contact you. Okay. Sounds Sound good. good? Yeah. Yep. So we got about four more minutes. So I just wanted to uh, really quick. I wanted to describe the the system that I use. And uh, this might be something that you could use to turn this from a you know part-time income into a full-time income. Right on. So what I like to do is have something else connected to whatever business that I'm doing. Yeah. So for example, uh, did you know that anyone can start an LLC? Right. For about four hundred dollars, and then that income is not your personal income; it's income to the LLC. Yeah. So you actually pay a lot less in tax if you do an Uber business through an LLC than through your own personal tax return. That makes sense. And then secondarily, you can add something to it. So, you know, the LLC is not an Uber business. The LLC is a business that delivers flowers. Right. And so you, uh, you know, you work with different florists, for example, and then every time you're driving someone, there you have fresh flowers in the car. Mm. And if someone wants to purchase a rose, you maybe they're on the way to a date or something like that, you know, and go, oh, well, if you need one, it's $5 or something <laughs> like that. So that would be an example of a way that you could pay significantly less in tax, do what you're doing now, and make extra income with it. That makes good sense. Yeah. I appreciate you. Sure. So it's it's the lemonade stand principle. You know, the, right. that's, that's one of the things that we try to teach to all the kids is like, if you need money, just start a business. It's not that difficult. <laughs> right. Um, you got and you got to start somewhere. So you you know you giving me that information is helpful. I appreciate you. Sure, absolutely. But yes, our goal is to create a full uh, K through twelve curriculum for mm -hmm. anyone in the United States who wants to use it. Um, we record a new episode every day. Uh, it takes about an hour a day to record an episode, but we interview all different types of experts. We interview lawyers, doctors, scientists, um, just anybody. We interview everybody. We, you know, doesn't matter how many followers they have. Doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, just if anybody has interesting advice to give that would be helpful, then we interview them, and then we're creating an actual curriculum, so a public domain book for every year of every class. Hmm. So it'll be a textbook, but it'll be all online, so you can read it on your tablet or on your phone or on your Kindle or whatever. And so then that way. <coughs> there will be a standardized curriculum that we can then give to the Department of Education for all the kids who live in really rural areas. Hmm. So kids who live in areas where there's not a functioning school can go to school online and get the best education possible. Yep, this is where it is. Now the Kona Ice is here, that's a good sign. Yep. <laughs> They're open for another... Oh, that's oh, exactly 10 minutes. That's a frigid frog, whatever that is. Well, where do you want to be dropped off? Uh, if you could just drop me off at the front desk, or at the front door, that would be like great. Right there? Yep. Yeah, sure. And I'm going to go ahead and end the episode. Thank you so much to Matt for yep. being on the episode, and we hope that you have a wonderful day.